We're continuing uh, our encounter series. We are looking at the prayer commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, And this weekend, we're thinking about uh, forgiveness, uh, being forgiven. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive the wrongs that others have done to us. Do not bring us to hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. My doctor, my physician, is also one of my closest friends, which is kind of awkward because I... I go in for my annual physical, and he shows very little respect for my magnificent physique. He really uh, is not always entirely professional. And, uh, and um, so I went in for my physical some years ago, and I just wanted to get out of there, you know, and get it, get it over and done with. And he said, before you leave, you need to go down the hall and have an x-ray. So I said, oh, okay. Uh, So I I found the room with that warm and welcoming radioactive sign on the door, and I opened the door, and there is an x-ray machine, as you would expect. There is a couch. Uh, There is a radiographer lady standing there, and sitting on the couch was a 30, 35-pound weight lead apron sitting on the couch. And uh, I, I, I said to her, I said, what's that for? Now, when she responded, she used a, an anatomical uh, term, not normally heard in church, but hey, we're grown up and, and uh, you know, this is just a part of the human body, so uh, I'll, I'll just tell you what she said. I said, what's that for? And she said, uh, well, Jeff, it is for the protection of the gonads. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I said, right, good. And, I, you know, Christians like to give the impression we know stuff about everything, but I'm thinking... What's, what's, what are they? What are they? <laughs> As indeed one or two of you are thinking right now and will inquire later. Um, and I, I said, oh, okay. And I, I'm trying to think, well, what, what's, what's that? And, and I thought she said, put that apron around your neck. Now, even with a basic knowledge of physiology, we would realize that she was not saying, put it around your neck, put it around your waist. But I heard neck. And I do what I'm told. So she popped out for a coffee and I picked up 35 pound of lead, hauled the apron up on my chest, threw this tape round here, this tape round here, and tied me a very large bow. (laughs) And now, after a minute or two, I am hunched over (laughs) with this 35 pounds of lead. And I start to pray, Lord, bring her back. (laughs) I start to pray, Lord Jesus, come back. And after about a a day or two, or so it felt, maybe five minutes, she came back in with a cup of coffee, and she took one look at me, and she just went, no. (laughs) There are many of us who live like that, hunched over by shame, Burdened down by guilt, and there's a difference. We live weighted. 
Lewis Smedes, the late great Lewis Smedes, one of my favorite writers, he says, shame is a very heavy feeling. It's a feeling that we don't measure up and we never will. We'll never be the kind of person we want to be. That feeling, he says, when we are conscious of it, gives us a vague disgust with ourselves, which in turn feels like a hunk of lead on our hearts. Weighed down. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt can be a very good thing, and it says something is wrong. Shame says you're wrong. Shame says you're trash. Guilt is a step up. It invites us to step up into the fullness of the potential that God wants us to live in. Shame smothers us. It makes us lose our hope. There's a difference between the two. But whether it's guilt or shame... It can feel like a huge, unpayable debt. Matthew here in his gospel, he's writing specifically for a Jewish audience. And so he uses an Aramaic word in his gospel that is effectively translated like this. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. You see, in Jewish thinking, life is a gift from God and sin is a debt which is why Matthew uses that kind of language. The words guilt and gold both come from the Anglo-Saxon word guilt, G-Y-L-T, meaning to pay. And there can be a sense in our lives, maybe you're feeling it even right now, where when we look at our history, maybe when we even look around at what's going on in our lives right now, we feel guilt, maybe we feel shame, and we feel unable, unable to pay. Unlike some religions, where every action is creating an irreversible, eternal, and unbreakable consequence, at the heart of Judaism and Christianity sits the truth that there is a God of love who wants to lift the weight and forgive us. And so that's what we're going to look at as we see this in the context of the Lord's Prayer. So if you're following in the program, follow this. First of all, this shows us, number one, the request for forgiveness, the truth that sin is sin. The very fact that Jesus tells us to ask for forgiveness points us to a truth that is not immediately obvious in our culture, and that is that there is something called sin. These days, it almost sounds a bit antiquated, doesn't it? Narrow, even bigoted, to talk about sin. And there are some crazy ideas circulating in our culture. Crazy ideas, unchallenged, can really mess you up. Uh, Years ago, I had a crazy idea. I went camping with our family in Oregon. This, I, I, I could keep you here all morning. I it was just wrong. I mean, I was chased by a raccoon. I mean, what's that about? Seriously, an attack raccoon. Watch out for those. And the kids, Kelly and Richard, they wanted to sleep out by the campfire. And so I said, okay, we'll do that. And so uh, Kate sensibly didn't want to do that. So I'm, I'm, we're on our camp beds around the campfire. And they're just drifting off to sleep. And Kelly said to me, she said, Daddy, there aren't any snakes around here, are there? And you know what I said? I said, honey, they don't allow snakes in state parks. (laughs) You know how stupid that is. 
like a snake goes slithering up and it sees a sign that says, State of Oregon, no snakes allowed. And the snake goes, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's a stupid idea, but I believed it. I woke up the next morning, the kids are still asleep, and I heard me a rustling beneath my camp bed. And I looked beneath, and there was not one, not two, but three snakes <laughs> under my bed. I remember issuing a cry, heard in Jupiter. It was something like, oh, hallelujah, something like that. <laughs> you see, you see, it was a really bad idea that I hadn't really thought through. There are so many bad ideas in our culture right now. Here's one of them. I, I don't want to be, I certainly don't want to be unkind, but sometimes we have to interrogate ideas. Professor Richard Dawkins, distinguished academic, in his book, The God Delusion, he says this. He says, in our universe, there is no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Stop right there, professor. If that's true, there's no such thing as right or wrong. A few weeks ago, I went with folks from Timberline here to Israel, and I went to Had Vashem the Holocaust Memorial, six million Jews. If that idea is right, well, that's okay. Because there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's a bad idea. And the idea has even crept into more popular thinking. How many remember Ann Landers? Raise your hand if you remember Ann Landers. Some of you are going, where is she in the Bible? She's not in the Bible. She said this, and I quote, one of the most painful self-mutilating time and energy consuming exercises in the human experience is guilt. She says, it can ruin your day or your week or your life if you let it. Remember that guilt is a pollutant and we don't need any more of it in the world. Really? Really? You see, guilt, if we don't have a sense of guilt, we end up with a spirituality that makes no demands. By the way, that's a popular trend. I'll just get a bit spiritual. It won't cost me anything. Rabbi Harold Kushner says, a God who exists but does not matter, who does not make a difference in the way you live, might as well not exist. It's possible to develop a mutated Christianity that, where you believe stuff, but it doesn't change anything. Just, it's not real faith, but... It's possible. But an awareness of sin, guilt, is also a sign of nobility. It points us back to the truth that as the theologians describe it, we are created imago dei, in the image of God. We are more than animals. Mark Twain said, man is the only animal that knows how to blush or needs to. It was Jeremiah, the saddest prophet, who lamented the reality that the people of God, and I quote, were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. So when Jesus tells us to ask for forgiveness, he is saying there is something called sin. And it's possible to try and evade that truth. Maybe some of us are doing it right now. We're rationalizing. We're saying, that's all right, that's all right. Just do it. 
and we need to come back into alignment with God, not just because we're breaking a principle or even hurting ourselves. This is not just about self-help. This is about violating a relationship with a person who loves us, our Father who is in the heavens. Sin is sin. Secondly, it's a call to come close in prayer. It's a call to come close in prayer. God is holy. Now, we've already seen from this prayer, the prayer has pointed us to the, to the otherness, to the transcendence of God. He is our Father who is in the heavens, out there and right here. And we've already said in the prayer, hallowed or holy is your name. So we recognize that sin is sin and that God is holy. But now Jesus is inviting us in. And we come with the recognition of our sinfulness and we ask for forgiveness. We don't try and deny it. We don't try and just say, well, I'll just try to be a better person and make 43 New Year's Eve resolutions. I won't just compare myself to others. Well, I may be doing this, but I'm not doing that. And I won't just be obsessed with guilt. Rather shame. There is a call here to come close to the holy God. Thirdly, thirdly, there's provision for sin, not a license to sin daily. There's provision for sin, but it's not a license to sin, and that provision is daily. Now, notice that Jesus, I think, invites us to either pray this prayer or see this as a model for daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Recognition uh, that forgiveness is something that is an ongoing need. Um, I've realized recently the need for rituals in my life. Rituals we tend to think of as negative and lifeless. There are certain things that we need to do in life that you don't have to think about. You, you, everyone in this room has got rituals, I hope. Like, you cleaned your teeth this morning, didn't you? You didn't pray about that. You didn't say, oh Lord, may the angel Derek appear before me. If I should clean my, it's a ritual. You, you, you do that. Uh, I've got some rituals. I, I, I've, been, I've been a runner over the last 10 years. Not continuously, I take breaks, but I've been a runner. I hate it. I, I am waiting for the day to wake up and go, woohoo! I hate it. And I get out there and my mind says, this is ridiculous, you're going to die. <laughs> Lay on the ground now and order, carry out, pizza so I've developed this ritual I keep my running gear next to my bed so when I wake up in the morning and I'm in that Lazarus look-alike phase I don't have to go shall I run shall I not run shall I exercise shall I not exercise no I just put my running gear on in fact I even tell myself I'm not running oh, I'm not gonna run this is it's just that Lycra is my chosen fashion choice Get that image out of your mind right now. It's a ritual daily. Jesus offers us a positive ritual offering us forgiveness. God wants to forgive us. You don't have to beg for it. Pretty please, God, please forgive me. You don't have to bargain for it. If you forgive me, Lord, I'll never do this again. You don't even have to bribe. If you forgive me, Lord, I'll do this for you. Do you know how desperate God is to forgive you and for you to know his forgiveness? 
My son-in-law, Ben, he leads a charity working with displaced children. Uh, just a few weeks ago, he was in a country in the Middle East, which I'm not going to name, and his charity goes into refugee camps where there are hundreds of kids sitting around just waiting to be radicalized. And they, they have tent schools. They set up these tent schools. When he visits those schools, which are reliant on local volunteers, he can only stay for 45 minutes. They say, you stay longer than that, someone's going to get on the phone to people from ISIS, and that's not going to end well. We're always very relieved to hear that our son-in-law has arrived home safely. He just was somewhere recently, and he came back. He said, he said Jeff, he said, I had, he said, I had an amazing time. He said, I heard of a situation where a pastor had a knock on the door one night, and he opened the door of his home, and there were three masked men standing there, Muslim extremists. They said, are you the pastor? He said, yeah. They pulled out a gun, shot him dead. Ladies and gentlemen, around the world today, there are millions of believers who would love to do what we're doing here today. They would love to gather for public worship. For us, it's commonplace. We take the privilege lightly, I suggest. They shot him dead. A new pastor emerged and took over. One night, there's a knock on his door. He opens the door. There are three masked men standing there. They said, are you the pastor? He said, yes. They said, don't worry. But then they put a hood over his head. Don't worry. And then a hood over his head. They bundled him into a truck. They drove him out into the desert. They said, it's okay. You're going to be okay. We'll explain. He arrived at what he discovered to be a terrorist training camp. They took the hood off, and there are 900 men standing there. He said, why have you brought me here? And one of the three men said, every one of these men has had the same dream about Jesus. They've all received, while asleep, the same dream pointing them to Jesus and his cross. And we don't know what it means. Can you explain it to us? Somebody said to me after the first service, after last night's service, what happened? I don't know. I can't wait to find out. Let me tell you this. This gospel that we preach, ladies and gentlemen, this is real. We're not making this up. How many know Jesus is alive and he's doing stuff around the world? And the news is not the news. But it also speaks to us of the passion of God to offer forgiveness. Dream after dream after dream. I'm hearing it all over the place. Of people who've never heard of Jesus, but they're bumping into him in revelations and dreams. And here we're being offered forgiveness. Somebody, I heard someone, read someone on the internet who said, we don't need to pray the Lord's Prayer anymore. I disagree. They said, well, forgiveness is already offered. We don't need to ask for it. I know that. They said, well, that the prayer was offered before the cross. Well, so was the entire teaching of Jesus. Does that mean that we dismiss it? Of course not. 
The Lord's Prayer was not a temporary measure. We are not forgiven by virtue of the prayer, but we are invited to ask to receive it. There's provision for sin, not a license to sin. Number four. Number four, receiving forgiveness is an act of faith and not feelings. Receiving forgiveness is an act of faith, not feelings. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who said this. Most Christians have enough religion to feel guilty about their sins, but not enough to enjoy life in the Spirit. That's true. I've met so many, too many Christians who are shame addicts. I've been one myself, actually. And they, wouldn't it be nice if he just said, forgive me, Lord, and then he sent you a receipt <laughs> to say, yeah, it's okay, it's done. Well, actually, he did. Paid in full. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what we do is we make our feelings more authoritative than this. Whereas God, I mean, let's face it, if we're going to believe this, why don't we, we let's, let's believe the really good bits, putting it crudely, about us being forgiven. Why argue? C.S. Lewis famously said, he said, I think if God forgive us, forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. He says, otherwise, it's like setting up a tribunal, us as a higher tribunal than him. We need to receive. I, you know, I, I try not to talk about it too much, but, you know, I'm a grandparent now, and grandparents, we're all obsessed, and we've got 64 million photographs of, of our grandkids, and, and look, here's Jimmy eating a candy bar. I've got 27 photographs of that. And Stanley, our grandson, he's eight now, he said to me recently, he said, Granddad, he said, you make me laugh in ways that I don't make me laugh. <laughs> I'm like, awesome. <laughs> when we go back to England, we, you know, we go to Carter's and Nosh by Gosh and all, you know, with our 90% off coupons. Because clo kids' clothes back there are three times the price. And we go back with these big bags. And we go back with some candy as well. And we walk in the house and... Stanley and Alex, they, they do not say, greetings, grandparental units. We are not worthy to receive these gifts that you have brought to us, for we have not cleaned our rooms since birth. No, no, no. No, they grab them. I mean, like they ignore the clothes and eat the candy. You know what I'm saying? But you see, they receive. Kids know how to receive. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was teaching, he said, be like children. Not childish, but be like children. And what's the primary thing that he was pointing out? The ability to receive the kingdom. Kids receive. Adults, we grow out of receiving. Give someone a gift when it's not Christmas or birthday. They go into paralysis. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't have. Oh, I feel awful. I didn't get you anything. You're thinking, I just gave you a gift. Forgiveness, receiving it, is an act of faith and a trusting of the receipt. Why not do that? Well, lastly, standing in forgiveness is an act of warfare. 
Standing in forgiveness is an act of warfare because there is an accuser. There is an accuser. His name is Satan. Now, we've all met Christians, haven't we, who are demon-obsessed. Everything's the devil's fault. You ever met Christians like that? You know, I ran out of gas this week on the freeway. The devil is attacking me. No, he's not. No, he's not involved. What is the Lord trying to teach me? He would say unto thee, Fillest thine tank, O foolish one. <laughs> Some Christians are like that. They're kind of crazy about the devil. or Everything's the devil's fault. But we must not do a pendulum swing reaction against that and forget that we are involved in spiritual warfare. Satan is an accuser. In the Old Testament, Satans were simply accusing enemies. Five times the psalmist talks about Satans in his life, human Satans. In the New Testament, we see that Satan is an entity, a person who tried to accuse God in the Garden of Eden, tried to malign the good character of God. If he does it with God, don't you think he'll try it with you? He's an accuser. The primary tactic of Satan is not temptation. It's accusation. Because if it can beat you up with accusation, temptation will be easy. Because you'll just feel worthless because hope and holiness are married. And so we accept forgiveness. And then we hear a whisper in our hearts that says, oh, really? Really? You didn't pay for that, did you? Is that true? And we end up living life. Come back to the beginning of this message. Weighed down. In the movie, The Mission, Robert De Niro plays Mendoza, a deeply, a deeply flawed man, a slave trader who kidnapped members of an Amazonian tribe and killed them, a man who killed his own brother. He's traumatized by shame. And he eventually he agrees as an act of penance to accompany a team of Jesuit missionaries back to that Amazonian tribe. But he insists that he will take the entire trip dragging a net bag full of armor and swords, heavy weights that serve as symbols of his old life. He can't bring himself to cut the cord. One of the Jesuits actually cuts the bag off of him during an ascent up a waterfall, but he climbs all the way back down this perilous waterfall to reattach it. And then they come across the tribe where Mendoza is known as a kidnapper and killer. And here's what happens. Take a look. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 11. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. 
Why not let Jesus cut the rope? Please. Let Jesus cut the rope. If you're not a Christian today, come to him. Let him cut the rope. You say, no, no, it's, I, you don't know where I've been. The movie is a graphic parable, wherever you've been, whatever you've done. Let him cut the rope. Some of us have become so used to dragging that net around with us. We, we dragged it in here this morning. We parked our car. We came in here. We sang songs about God's goodness. And the temptation is at the end of the service, a few minutes from now, we're going to pick up that rope and we're going to haul that thing out of here again, pack it in the car, drive home. We got used to doing it that way. There's another application to this too. Maybe for some of us, what's in that net is sin that we're trying to call something other than sin. It's time to agree with God today. Let him cut the rope. Accept his verdict and his forgiveness. I'd like to ask you, if you're able, please, to very quietly just stand with me. Would you stand, please? And I don't want you to close your eyes yet. We are going to have a moment of response, but this is a little different. I did something similar to this a few months ago here. But it's different even to that. What you're about to do is going to be quite private. Although the prayer team will be here at the end, there will not be a moment if you respond, well, I'll invite people to turn around and just pray for you. We're not going to do that today, purposefully. I want this to be a moment of you having that encounter with God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a few seconds. If you have been dragging that net of your history around and it's time to make a step today to let Jesus cut the rope, I'm going to ask you to respond and here's what you do. I'm going to ask you to do nothing but sit down. Just sit. Because sitting is resting. It's letting something else take your weight. Come to me, he says, and I'll give you rest. So by faith, receive rest. It, it may even be that, the, that this is, you're responding because you're going to call sin, sin. Well, you can take a seat as well. As a way of saying, yeah, I, I sit in the rest of surrendering to you and in the rest that comes from your peace and forgiveness. So would you close your eyes now with me? Thank you for the presence of your spirit powerfully in this place, Lord. Help us to stop struggling with you and let you cut the rope. With your eyes closed still, I invite you, if you want to respond to this, letting go of that rope, just quietly take a seat. Go ahead. All around the building, people are doing that. No one needs to be intimidated. Cut the rope, Lord. 
accept your verdict. Grace for my history. I accept your verdict about sin currently. Forgive me. Help me to accept your forgiveness. I rest in you. So, Lord, we pray for every person who is responding. Some of us, perhaps, responding for the first time to become Christians. And I want to say, if that's what you want to do today, our prayer team are going to be here at the end. We'd love to take a moment to pray with you. Let me do this. Time is gone, but let me do this. If you're inviting Christ to come into your life, you want to become a Christian, pray this with me right now, whether you're standing or sitting. Jesus, come into my life. Cut the rope. Take charge. Be Lord. I accept the forgiveness available to me through the cross. I choose to follow you. Our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are still closed. If you just prayed that prayer because you're you're wanting to become a Christian today, would you hold up your hand so I can see it, please? Just as a way of saying... I just did that just now. That's wonderful. Thank you over there and over there. Thank you. We've got something we'd like to give you at the end. Please come and see one of our prayer team members. We've got some materials that can really help you. So Lord, enable us to live this week in the freedom of forgiveness. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen.